Good morning. Welcome to Trinity Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Bibb, and a special warm welcome to any guests or visitors joining us this day. Please know you're always welcome here among us at uh, Trinity Lutheran Church. And as we continue through the Trinity season, we're now finding ourselves at the 18th Sunday after Trinity, getting very close to these uh, final weeks uh, of that same long green season. And pretty soon we'll hear Jesus speaking of the end times. But until that comes today, we have a theological discussion of the law and who the Christ is. And so for a closer look at the readings for today, I'll have you turn to the inside of the back cover of your bulletin where we have that focused on Christ section, a summary of our readings. The Pharisees ask a law question. Jesus asks a gospel question. The Pharisees seek to test Jesus in his own words. Jesus seeks to test them in the saving reality of who he is as the Messiah. The law requires you to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to love the sojourner. Failure to keep the law perfectly brings judgment. On the other hand, the gospel brings the grace of God given by Jesus Christ that you may be blameless in the day of his return. Jesus is David's son, yet David's Lord, true God and true man. He is love incarnate, who fulfilled all the demands of God's law on our behalf, that we might be saved from the law's condemnation and sanctified in the gospel's forgiveness. Thereby we see that God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We have great joy this day to receive Christ's body and blood in the fellowship of this altar. And as we are called by our Lord, we are to examine ourselves according to his law, to discern the body and to also be of one confession, what it is that we come forward to receive these great and glorious gifts of the Lord. And so then we do ask in accord with his word that all those joining us at the altar this day be members either of this congregation or of a sister congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, joining together in that one common confession, that one orthodox confession of the Christian faith. Our service this day is divine service setting three as it begins on page 184. We now sing the first hymn. O oh God, because without you we are not able to please you, mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may be in all, may in all things direct and rule our hearts. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. The Old Testament reading for the 18th Sunday after Trinity is from Deuteronomy chapter 10. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good? Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. 
You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our sermon this day is based upon the gospel lesson that is before us. You know, a good conversation is enjoyable, and it's energizing. When two people or a group of people sit down and they discuss something of real importance, the conversation flowing from idea to idea with the pros and cons all being considered without childish insults, Without people being unnecessarily offended or unnecessarily offensive, that's a treat. Dare I say such conversations are becoming less and less common. Well, this should not be so, especially not so among us as God's people. Now, why am I lamenting the loss of good conversation? Well, I'll have you take another look at the gospel lesson today, and I'll ask you, what's happening? Who's there? Because we see the scribes, Pharisees, and Jesus. Now, what exactly are they discussing? Important matters of theology and of life. They're discussing God's word. They're talking about God, his word, and the proper that is the orthodox understanding of his word. Also note that the answers given, they're not wild, man-made speculation. The answers to the questions are always sought and found in Holy Scripture. What we see before us today in the gospel lesson is a good theological conversation. Jesus and the Pharisees are talking about God's word and whether or not the Christ is the son of David. 
An obvious irony, of course, is that the Pharisees, well, they're talking to the Christ, King David's greater son. They just do not believe or they do not want to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the long-promised Savior and Messiah from David's line. Well, I'll ask you to think about your own lives. Can you recall a conversation like this? When was the last time you discussed important matters of Christian teaching and life with another Christian or perhaps even an unbeliever? Did that conversation spark interest in reading and studying the Bible or the Lutheran confessions? Did that conversation spark, uh, cause you rather to pray for wisdom, discernment, and a proper understanding of God's word? Now, I bring all this up because there seems to be a lack of such conversation amongst Christians today. There's a reluctance to get into discussions like this with people, certainly those whom we do not know well. But why? I suppose there's any number of reasons, right? Any number of things which can cause this reluctance. And of course, the number one thing on that list is fear. And it shows up in lots of ways. There's fear of appearing like a fool, either to another Christian or to an unbeliever. There's fear of not knowing the answer to a question. There's fear of being wrong about a matter of biblical doctrine. And then there's the fear of holding to a teaching of God's word that makes you look backwards, judgmental, or dare I say hateful, at least by the world's judgment and understanding. Then, of course, there's the possibility of offending someone close to you with your orthodox, God-pleasing confession of the Christian faith. This could possibly damage or even end the relationship. Now, all these reasons and more are why it is often said that one should never discuss religion and politics. I must admit that such age-old advice, well, puts me on edge. Why not, I wonder? Why? Why shouldn't we discuss religion and politics? These are the topics that affect our daily lives. When it comes to religion, to theology, this is a topic that matters both now and for eternity. To tell a Christian, don't discuss religion, is to say, don't talk about God and his word. Or even, don't talk about your identity, who you are, who God made you to be. That seems very hypocritical in a country that has become consumed with conversations about identity, gender identity, and all the other ways it comes up. In fact, the Lord has always willed his people to discuss, to study, ponder, pray, to praise, and delight in his word. What do you think Adam and Eve discussed in the garden, both before and after the fall into sin? Now, of course, to be sure, there were, you know, ordinary, everyday conversations. Hey, how about that pomegranate over there? Look at that pear, you know. But think about it. The word that God had given to Adam and Eve before the fall, the word he gave them, their confession to live by was this. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The trees were the place of worship. They gathered there. They make their confession. But then remember also that this word of God, which the Lord gave to Adam and then to Eve, it's the very thing that the devil called into question. The thing he attacked when he spoke with Eve. Did God really say then after the fall, God promised that the seed of Eve would be born and crush the head of the serpent. This is the first gospel promise, Genesis 3.15. Of course they discussed this, and often. In fact, when we see in Genesis 4.1, Eve bears Cain and she expects to have the Messiah. That is what's there, plain as day in the Hebrew when you look at it. 
She has gotten a man. The Lord is what it actually says literally. She expects that the Messiah has come now. Of course, they were talking about this promise. It was her very hope when labor had set upon her. But then centuries later with Israel, the Lord spoke this word to his people. He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That from Deuteronomy 6. But this actually brings us back to the gospel lesson. You see, this is what Jesus, the Pharisees, and the scribes were doing. They were at the temple talking about the importance of God's law and the identity of the Christ, whose son he is. Now, in all of our criticism of them, we often forget that the Pharisees, they were dedicated to the study of God's word. And unlike so many of the Sadducees, whom Jesus had just refuted, the Pharisees actually believed God's word to be true. That is, inspired of God and without error. But you see, dear saints, this kind of theological discussion, it's not meant to be limited to pastors, theology professors, and those who just happen to be interested in religion or the Bible. The study and discussion of God's word is part and parcel of what it means to be God's baptized child. We discuss the things that our Father has given us in his word. This is why Luther wrote the following throughout the small catechism. As the head of the family, the father should teach in a simple way to his household. The small catechism was and is intended as a house book. When we take the small catechism out of the home and we place it in a classroom, we're taking it out of its natural habitat. This becomes even more clear when we look to the most neglected portions of the catechism, the daily prayers and table of duties. Luther wrote these parts of the catechism as a daily liturgy for the whole. It's a simple order to follow, and it's for the benefit of Christians and their families. I mean, think about it. Have you ever struggled to pray in the morning or in the evening or before mealtime? We've all been there before. Dr. Luther, he gives us a wonderful, thoroughly biblical model to follow in the catechism. Now, this is what he wrote regarding morning prayer. He said, in the morning when you get up, make the sign of the Holy Cross and say, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Now, why? Because that's a remembrance of your baptism. The triune name of God was spoken over you as water was poured over you in that name, and you received the Holy Spirit and the gift of faith. So it is a remembrance of who you are. Amen. Then he says, kneeling or standing, the two postures for prayer, repeat the creed in the Lord's Prayer. Now, why? Because the creed is the confession of the God who saved you, the one who is your God, your creator, the Father, your redeemer, the Son, your sanctifier, the Holy Spirit. So he says, recall these things. This is who you are. This is who God made you to be. This is the God who saved you. And then he says, pray the Lord's Prayer. Because this is the prayer of the baptized as we call upon our Father to give us all that we need, body and soul, for this life and the next. So then he says, kneeling and standing, repeat the creed and the Lord's Prayer. And then he says after that, if you choose, he gives the primacy to the creed and the prayer. If you choose, you may also say this little prayer. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, 
that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. And then he says, go joyfully to your work, singing a hymn like that of the Ten Commandments, or whatever your devotion may suggest. Classic Luther. It takes less than two minutes to do what is laid out for morning prayer, and so also evening prayer in the Catechism. And so you see that it's not just a book of doctrine. It is a prayer book. It is a daily fountain of God's word and truth, a God-pleasing tool given for this purpose, that we might know who God is, who we are as his baptized children, and how we are to live as his beloved and forgiven people in Christ Jesus. In addition to all this, the Catechism, it gives us words to speak when it comes to talking about God. It gives us a vocabulary of the Bible. Knowing this all to be true, then, let's return to the topic of the biblical conversation with a question. How often do you talk about the basics of God's word in your life as God's child? How often do you discuss or study God's creation in your homes? What about the major events of the Old Testament and how they apply to us today? St. Paul says these things were laid down and written down for our instruction. What about Jesus' crucifixion, his resurrection and ascension? Do you discuss the sacraments, angels, heaven and hell? There's so much to explore, to study, to learn, and to marvel at. As the psalmist says, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. That from Psalm 111. Now, of course, it is necessary to talk about the everyday things related to food, drink, clothing, finances, and scheduling and such. Parents must structure their households and keep their children in submission to them. When we're at work, the conversation, it deals mostly with the things that are right before us, the things of our work. And this is necessary, and it's for the sake of good order. For example, folks, if I'm on a plane, I don't want that pilot and that co-pilot having a really heated debate in the cockpit about immigration policy. <laughs> no, no thank you. I want them to focus on their job, that is, getting the people on the plane to their destination in a safe and efficient manner. However, when it's the proper time and you have the opportunity, why not discuss God's word? There's nothing in your life, indeed nothing in this God-created world that doesn't have some kind of connection to God and his word. God created all we know. Therefore, everything has connection to what we confess in the first article of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And then Jesus, the Son of God, he took on flesh, fulfilled the law, and died on the cross for our sins as the perfect once and for all time payment for sin. He was raised from the dead, has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he will come again on the last day to judge the living and the dead. His death and his resurrection have secured the forgiveness of sins for all humanity. Therefore, the teaching in the second article of the creed, it matters for all humanity. And in like manner, the Bible's teaching concerning the Holy Spirit matters because it is God, the Holy Spirit, who has called us by the gospel. He is the one who gathers, enlightens, sanctifies, and keeps God's saints in the holy Christian church and in the one true faith. It is the Holy Spirit who takes these gifts of Jesus, forgiveness, life, and salvation, and that he gives them to you, his saints, in his word and sacraments. All that we confess in the creed matters, and it matters for all humanity. And as for politics, well, we've been given the blessing of living in a constitutional republic where ordinary citizens have the responsibility and the privilege of choosing their representatives on a local, state, and federal level. What a tremendous gift to be in this country. God has established and given us government for our good. All you need to do is see the fourth commandment and its meaning and to study this. 
Therefore, it is the duty of Christian citizens in this country to participate in government. Talking about politics is just one facet of that. In fact, your knowledge of God's word, especially the Ten Commandments, it gives you wisdom when it comes to, to discussing the weighty and substantial matters of politics and of governance. This is a God-pleasing and concrete way to serve your neighbor and your God-given vocation as a Christian citizen. Therefore, don't be afraid to talk about such things. And when you do, speak the truth in love, gentleness, humility, and patience. Now, since we've been talking about what makes for good conversation, especially concerning God's word, let's return to the gospel lesson and that discussion, that debate between Jesus and the Pharisees. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Folks, this debate happened on Monday of Holy Week. Jesus had just rode into town with the people waving palms saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Jesus is King David's greater son. In other words, Jesus is the promised descendant of David who would sit on his throne. The Lord made this promise to David in 2 Samuel 7 where he said this, Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. It is Jesus who is King of kings and Lord of lords, the one to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given. And it is the same Jesus who came in great humility to rule from the throne of the cross, crowned not with gold, but with thorns. King Jesus was not wrapped in kingly robes, but covered with his own blood, which he poured out from his wounded body, pierced hands and feet, and all of this for the life of the world. Upon the cross, King Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And at his last moments, his kingly decree was, It is finished. After his crucifixion and death, our king rested from all the work he had done upon the cross. And on the third day, our king rose in triumphant victory revealing to all the world that he had conquered sin, death, and the devil. And he did this for you, his beloved sons and daughters. He did this for the whole world. And so we see that the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, it matters for all people. And if there is ever an event worth talking about, folks, it is the glorious good news of Christ crucified and resurrected for sinners. Therefore, let us be bold. And let us be joyful in our conversations. With the help of the Holy Spirit, may we be salt and light in this increasingly tasteless and sin-darkened world. Let us speak of Jesus and his word. When we rise, when we lie down in our homes, in our everyday conversations, in person and, on, on, and online. And let us especially teach, study, pray, and delight in God's word with our children and grandchildren. And most of all, let us rest our weary souls at the feet of Christ the King repenting of our sin, and receiving his merciful love as he comes to us in his body and his blood. In the name of Jesus, amen. The peace of God which passes understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. 
In thanksgiving for Jesus Christ, David's Son and Lord, on whose love hangs all the law and prophets, and in whose discipline we also make our beginning in love. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the church, that her preachers may be proven faithful, and that all Christians would be glad to enter into the house of the Lord, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the homes of God's people, that husband and wife may honor their vows of love and fidelity to each other, and that parents and children would be united in love and affection, living lives that are examples to the world of God's goodness and love. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For our president and all in high positions of authority, that they may be guarded from every evil and kept from using their power for selfish gain, serving always with the common welfare of all in mind. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the needy, the troubled, the joyful, and the expectant, we especially pray for John Mottman, Ron Lyon, Bob Rash, Chuck Lichty, Erlene Lakey, Lisa Rash, and Ted Phillips, that they may look confidently to Christ, seated at the Father's right hand and subjecting every enemy under his feet. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all who commune, that strengthened by the forgiveness of our sins, delivered in the body and blood of Christ, we may grow in the fear, love, and service of God, who is our praise. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all who mourn, that they might not grieve as those who have no hope, but as those whose hope is the crucified and risen one. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. All this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, through him, with him, and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning to you once again on this blessed Lord's Day. Uh, just a handful of announcements as we continue on with our morning here for Sunday School and Bible Study immediately following worship. And in the Adult Bible Study, we'll be doing a lectionary study here for the next few weeks uh, before we get to Advent. And then we'll have a, um, a change then as well. Um, tomorrow, Monday at 1.30, we'll have our uh, Esther Bible Study and then followed on Wednesday by our midweek school uh, workout class at 6 in Trinity Choir Practice. And then on Thursday at 6 p.m., uh, there is the Trinity Women's Meeting, so ladies, please note that. And then also a reminder that today uh, in Waverly, these St. Paul Singing Saints uh, will be over there with their Down by the Riverside concert. That's at 3 p.m. Um, and they have a number of fall-themed refreshments and whatnot as well that you can find there. The full announcement is found in your bulletin. And then also the Circuit Reformation Service it is one week closer now, uh, October 30th at 4 p.m. That's going to be at Emanuel Lutheran Church in Salisbury. And as I understand it, they're also going to have uh, German-themed food afterwards, so you're welcome to stay for supper as well. Anything that I may have missed in the announcements? All right, well, uh, again, we go in great joy knowing that Jesus is King David's greater son, and in him, the son of David, we cry out, Hosanna, Lord, save us, and he has. And we give thanks to God for that and the blessed gifts that we receive of his cross and his word and sacrament. I'll greet you at the door.